At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 411th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery? In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions, better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is, saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed-saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed-saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit SeedSavingHacked.org. Today on our podcast, we have someone who embarks on extreme tasks to bring attention to important issues. We're talking with Rob Greenfield about his Food Freedom Project. Rob is an adventurer, environmental activist, humanitarian, and dude making a difference. He is dedicated to leading the way to a more sustainable and just world. Rob has visited six continents and 40 countries, lived off-grid in a tiny house, wore a trash suit for a month, dove in more than 2,000 dumpsters, cycled across the U.S. twice on a bamboo bicycle, wow, that's cool, traveled over 7,000 miles from Brazil to Panama, relying on the goodness of humanity, participated in a cross-country good deeds bike trek, and shared all of this to inspire others to change. His next project, which is a really cool one, he is going to go an entire year without eating food from grocery stores, restaurants, or even eating or drinking at a party. He will be growing and foraging 100% of his food for an entire year. Welcome to the show today, Rob. Are you ready to rock? Sure am. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get here today? After reading your bio, it's like, oh my gosh, where do you come up with this stuff? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of blanks to fill in. Well, basically, you know, for for most of my life, I was living a fairly normal American life. You know, I had a goal of being a millionaire by the time I was 30. Me too. And, and uh, you know, wasn't focused on these things in life like growing food and living sustainably. In 2011, I 
started to watch a lot of documentaries and read a lot of books and just started to realize that my life was causing destruction to almost everything that I loved. And so that's when I realized I wanted to change my life to live in a more, you know, a more sustainable way. And after time, I decided I wanted to not just change my own life, but inspire other people and help other people. And I found as an entertainer, naturally, that one of the ways that I can do that is by doing crazy things that catch people's attention and get them to self-reflect and make positive changes. Yeah, no kidding. Like a trash suit for a month? Tell me about that. That's wow. Yeah. So, you know, the average American creates four and a half pounds of trash per day. Wow. And, you know, most of us, we never really have to think twice about it because we just put it in the garbage can and then it's just out of sight, out of mind. And we don't see how much it adds up to. So what I wanted to do was create a visual that would help people understand just how much garbage one person creates in a month. So what I did is I made a special trash suit that could hold 135 pounds of trash. And I just lived, I ate, shopped and consumed like the average person and added each piece of trash that I created for the entire month. How'd that go? It was great. It was, I mean, I like to inspire people and get people thinking, but do it in a way where they get to choose whether they want to think about this stuff. I don't like to push anything in anyone's faces. So by being out there just covered in trash, I was out there in people's faces, but I wouldn't say anything. People would just walk up to me and say, what are you doing? And I'd say, oh, I'm just (laughs) living like the average American. and this is how much trash the average American creates in this number of days, whatever day it was, and people's eyes would just light up. So during that process, first of all, which city were you in? I was in uh, New York City in Manhattan. Oh, wow. What? So there was one person, I'm sure, that just stands out in your mind. What kind of reaction did they have? Well, you know, it was mostly people, just people on the streets. And what really caught me was people that would walk up to me and tell me, wow, I, you know, I just read an article about you a couple days ago, or I saw you on the news. And, you know, since then, I've already made changes. For example, this woman... She was probably 40 or 50 years old. She walks up to me. I think I was in Union Square Park. And she says, I saw you on the news a couple days ago. And since then, I started recycling for the first time in my life. And I bought a reusable coffee cup. I know these are small changes, but, you know, I'm like 40 years old and uh, I'm starting now. You know, those are the days that I live for in my life when somebody does a shout out to me and says, oh, my gosh, Greg, this is the difference you made and this is what I've done. It sounds to me like that's a big motivator for you too. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about a bamboo bicycle trek across the US. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Sure. Well, uh, I've done that three times now. The first time was in 2013 and that trip was called Off the Grid Across America. Basically, the idea was to try to cycle across the country and have no negative environmental impact. Uh-huh. So I had set like, strict rules for all of the key aspects of sustainable living, things that we deal with every single day, whether we think about it or not. Food, water, energy, waste, transportation, the things that, you know, for most of us, we just never really think about, but are actions that affect the earth and just immersed in sustainability for the whole 4,700 miles across the country. Wow. And now you said three times. I'll bet there's some memorable stories there. Yeah. The second time was called the Good Fluence Tour. And the idea was uh, I was biking across the country doing good deeds. We were planting lots of gardens, throwing lots of seed bombs. Then in 2000, summer of 2016, 
no, summer of 2017, a tour uh, called Green Riders. And on that trip, it was my partner at the time and about 28 others. Uh, almost every single one of us was complete strangers. And we, we met in uh, Central Park to bike to Seattle, Washington together, planting gardens and doing good deeds basically all across the country. What kind of difference does this make for you every day? I mean, you gotta, it's got to be something to reflect on. Well, I mean, I've definitely, I have to say, you know, even in my previous life where my goal was to be a millionaire and I was very focused on material possessions, I was a pretty happy person. I've always been a generally happy person. Mm -hmm. But the happiness that I have now in living simply and living in the service of others is definitely much more elated form of happiness. I've definitely found that just, you know, living for something greater than yourself, living with a deeper purpose is just this deeper sense of completeness and happiness that I feel most of the time. Of course, I, you know, have my down days and, you know, I'm sad sometimes, but generally I feel a very deep sense of completeness by living in the service of others. Yeah. I've studied yoga for over two decades and I'm 57 and my sense of it is that you're quite a bit younger than that. Uh, 32. You know, it's not all that often that a 32-year-old gets to where you're at in your life at 32. You know that, right? I, I, I've uh, definitely been doing a lot <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, to get to a place of service, seva, they call it, you know, in yoga. Wow. I'm doing a virtual high five for you, man. Good job. I five, five back, brother. <laughs> so is there some one person in your travels that really sticks in your memory? You know, I sometimes have a hard time because there's, there's just so many things and often it just kind of blends together into these, you know, grand adventures. Mm -hmm. So what pops into my mind at this exact moment was a guy named Brad. We were, I was, I had just outrun a tornado. I was in Kansas or Nebraska. First time I'd ever seen a tornado, let alone while I was on my bicycle. Right. And you know, pretty good storm. And this guy pulls over and honestly it was a little scary, like an old beat up truck. But Brent and I, the guy who was biking with me, we just thought we need, I think we got to take this guy up because, you know, big storm was coming. And so he said we could stay in his barn or, uh, so we headed that way and we were both kind of worried. Like it was the beginning of what could be sort of a scary movie. And then we show up and it's just, <laughs> the yard is full of kitties and there's a drunk dog and there's animals everywhere and uh his wife comes out Marsha she was super nice and it was just one of those experiences where you know, just random person on the road just said hey you know come stay at my place I can see you need to get out of the storm yeah and I remember the next day Marsha took a bag of cherries out of the freezer and all day long I was eating frozen cherries oh nice across Nebraska or I think Kansas. I don't remember exactly what state it was. Well, and it sounds like with your trek across South America, you've you've done a fair amount of the counting on the goodness of others. Yes. So one thing that is interesting is in our culture in the United States, it is considered a good thing to to give to others. You know, mm -hmm. that's kind of universally truth, you know, something that everybody thinks. Yet, we have this very hard time accepting from others. <laughs> right. And, and I think to be the best at giving, 
to be good at giving and to understand the feeling of receiving, I have to be put into those shoes. And now I'm a privileged person growing up in the United States as a white male. Yeah. So life is fairly easy. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, by traveling with no money, what it does is it puts me into, it immerses me in a situation where I am vulnerable. Of course, you know, acknowledging that I, I made myself vulnerable. But, you know, by landing in Brazil with no money, I was basically dependent upon the kindness of others and I needed to accept help from others. There's a whole lot to say about that, but what the really the biggest picture is learning to be humble and learning to be helped. And one of the reasons that I wanted to do that is so that I would be better at be living in the service of others. Yeah. Well, and better at receiving. Yes. Cause, yeah. Because you're right. So many people out there struggle with receiving. And yeah. if you do that, it kind of shuts down the flow. It does. And, and I, you know, I want to live in a world where we share with each other openly, where we share each other's resources, whether that's food from our garden, our skill, you know, what we went to school for, for four or eight years, what, whatever it may be, whatever abundance that we have, sharing that with each other. And in that way, we can be less dependent upon money, on corporations, on government, when we can simply be there for each other. Mm-hmm. That's the community piece. That is so important. So what is one of the most transformative events that you've gone through? One of the most transformative events that I've gone through. I, I, you know, again, I always have a hard time picking out like individual things. You know, my, my general response is the last seven years of my life, you know, right. day after day. But definitely... You know, the first time that I ever landed in a far-off country with no money, well, not a far-off country, it was Mexico, and I was in San Diego, so it was just one country. Uh-huh. But I was, th- I was 13 miles from home, and I landed there with just the clothes on my back and my cell phone that I used just for pictures. I turned it on airplane mode. And that, like, you know, I walked out of the airport. I knew town was 10 miles away, and I just stuck my hands up in the air and just, like, walked south because that's the way the town was. And... I would say that having nothing, no resources, that is, you know, super transformative. And you don't have to go to a far off country to do that. You can do it right at your own backyard. You can do it right in your own city. You can just leave your house without your cell phone, without your credit card, without your wallet, without your car, and just spend a day in your community with nothing. That can be a transformative experience right there. Yeah. I had something like that happen recently. I left my wallet at home. I went out to Arizona State University where I was speaking one evening and I pulled into a parking garage that I needed to pay for. I had to get real creative. I I had a couple of friends on campus and it's like, all right, here's the deal, guys. I don't have my wallet. Can you help? And, you know, they were more than happy to step up. You're right. It puts you in a different place. Absolutely. It's... uh... That's another big part about it. Problem solving, critical thinking, two yep. things that I think are just utterly important to have a successful society. And a successful life. Mm-hmm. So you're going to live a full year on growing and collecting your own food. No grocery stores, no drive throughs no midnight runs to the corner store. How are you going to do this? I'm really curious and I want to follow up afterwards too. And I should also say no dumpster diving because a lot of people know I've raised awareness about food waste and I've eaten out of hundreds of dumpsters all across the country. Got it. So 
no dumpster diving either, just grown or foraged from the wild. And I start in, what, two days. So I have a few meals left before it begins, and I am mentally prepared, basically. But, I mean, I just, I really, this is going to be quite the experience. Food is a central part of all of our lives, and this, and you know, not being able to go to the grocery store or restaurants, eat food at other people's parties. It's going to be a deeply immersive experience in you know connecting deeply with my food. And so you have a plot of land. You're going to be growing food. Yeah. So basically, what I the situation that I'm in is I'm in Orlando, Florida, so an urban environment. And the idea is I, w- I want to be in a place. Um, to show what can be done in the city, not in the countryside where land is limitless. Right. And so I actually just have, I've just finished building my tiny house, finished it for about $1,500, and it's 99% repurposed materials about. It's 100 square feet. Wow. So I have this set up in someone's backyard that I met here. We're doing a work exchange. So it's a woman who's about 60 years old. And so I'm, I built her a big garden in her front yard. I got bees helping her homestead. It's been a dream of hers for over 25 years to homestead. And so I'm helping her do that. So I have a small plot here, but I have gardens in four different yards around the neighborhood. So that's really how I'm doing this is by, and with each of those gardens, the idea is they keep, they eat some of the food, I eat some of the food. So every time I grow a garden, it benefits others as well. Yeah, beautiful. So what are you going to do for butter or oil to cook things in, saute things in? I am going to be harvesting coconuts. That's one of the great blessings of living in Florida is there's an abundance of coconuts. And I am yet to actually do it, but I know that I can make coconut oil. Yeah. So I'll probably, for the first week or two, I probably will be, you know, I won't have any oil until I get my butt around to making some coconut oil. But also, I will be eating fish that I catch in the ocean, which is about a, about 50 miles from here. And so there's oil naturally present in oh, the yes. fish. Right. What other things that we count on on a day-to-day basis are you thinking that you're going to be foraging for, and how are you going to do it? Well, the big one is salt. You know, that's something that we very much take for granted that we never think about. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I remember when I first started planning this exper- you know, this project, it was like, how the heck do you make salt? Like, I know that it's in the ocean, but can you just simply boil the water and then you have salt? Is there like how much how many gallons of of salt water do you makes- have to boil? Yeah. To- yeah, I mean, is it like 10 gallons and you get a teaspoon of salt? Like, you know, I didn't know any of this and I'm happy to say that basically a gallon of salt water gives you about a half cup uh, or three quarters of a cup of salt. And so wow. simply boiling five gallons, I have three cups of salt. And three cups of salt is a lot of salt. That's a lot of salt. Probably a year's worth. Um, except for I'll be doing a lot of – it's a year's worth of like table salt, but I'll be doing a lot of fermenting like sauerkraut and Got things it. like that. So yeah, that's you know just some of these things that we that we never think about that we take for granted. You know, sugar. You know, a lot of gardeners preserve their food with sugar, and I won't have that. That's going to be one of the challenges. Mm-hmm. I will have honey, and that's my you know that's going to be one of my main craving you know sweet tooth things, but also just uh, 
you know, it's just, it's a great healthy thing. And I, it's a, something that I've incorporated into my diet for the last at least 10 years or so. Yeah. No bread, you know, I, I won't have, a, there will be no real substitute for that a year without any, any bread, anything like that. Mm-hmm. No peanut butter, probably. That will be a tough one. And of course, no chocolate. That'll be a really oh, yeah. interesting one. Wow. So what are you trying to communicate with this? So, yeah, I do extreme things. And the idea isn't that people, you know, say, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to, you know, do super extreme things. No, the idea of this is, is that mainstream media, mainstream society has so many things going on and so little of it is these deeper things in life, thinking about where does our food come from? What impact does it have on other people, uh, the environment, other species? And so what I want to do is, through doing this extreme thing that will really catch people's attention, the idea is just to get them to stop and think about our industrialized, globalized food system and to start thinking about the solutions. And so, sure, I'm growing 100% of my food, but my goal is to inspire people to maybe just plant one thing for the first time. Maybe it's a tomato plant and, and, a, and a basil in a pot. Uh-huh. Or maybe it's a small front yard raised bed garden. And so my goal is to inspire thousands of people to start growing a little of their own food and hope that that little bit is that gateway, that passageway to getting a deeper connection to their food. So I got to know something. In 1991, I did a seminar at a place called Landmark Education, and they call it their advanced course. And one of the things that I took away almost 30 years ago from the advanced course was a willingness and a knowledge of how to take on epic goals, how to take on epic projects. So that's kind of my creation story about how I learned to do that. Is there something that happened for you that that taught you how to do this epic stuff or... Yeah, what's that story? Mm, you know, uh, really what it is is there's a couple of things. Because, you know, everything in life is a matter of perspective. And so most of us go about living in the way that society tells us to live, what is considered normal. So, you know, here in the United States, there's a general set of social norms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of us are raised to just kind of do those social norms. And that results in typically a not epic life, not epic goals, rather just kind of falling within that sort of standard way of life that millions and millions of people do. I did want to be normal for a while. But then what happened is I realized that normal is what creates all the things in the world that I don't like. It's the things that creates the destruction of everything that I love. So... First of all, when I decided normal wasn't right for me, that meant I was going to be different. Embracing and being not just embracing, but excited about the idea of being different from everyone else is a step in allowing yourself to do epic things. The other thing is, you know, what held me back for the longest time was worrying what other people would think, what, you know, social stigmas. And when I stopped you know, it, it was it took years, but the goal was to stop worrying what people would think. And as I shed the unnecessary aspects of my life, you know, started to not buy clothes anymore and just 
you know, wear a very minimal number of clothes, shed most of my material possessions, started to live with less money, focus on what matters. What I found was I, you know, over time, every little thing I used to care about when what people would think just less and less and less. And what I did is I was able to create a new lens to look at life. And that lens was no longer what will people think about me? Every time I would think of something that I wanted to do, it used to be that the first question would be, whether consciously or subconsciously, what will people think? And now the question is, is this beneficial for the earth, my community, and myself? And that's the lens that I now try to look at every action that I take. And for me, it's a matter of totally shaking up that foundation that groundwork of what it means to be a person in 2018 and looking at everything through a totally different lens. And that's what's allowed me to do things that appear epic, but to me are just everyday average normal life. Right. You, you pitched that at me and um, I distracted myself with the epicness of everyday normal life. That's cool. So my listeners all know that I'm always looking for epic and usually... When I'm doing an interview, there's a there's a point at which their epic shows up, and all of our conversation today has been epic. So uh, you know, another another virtual high five for you, man. All right, high five back. Um, so I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Well, I'm failing at the moment, actually. You know, as you know, I'm starting my project on Sunday of growing and foraging 100% of my food. Problem is, none of I planted my fall garden about three weeks ago, and basically no seeds came up. Oh, so uh, I'm starting in two days, and I don't have most of the foods that I hope to have. Not only that, but I had also planted it like six weeks late in the first place because I was just kind of busy. Yeah. So you know, I don't I don't have so much of what I was hoping to have. You know, lots of greens, carrots, beets that I was going to preserve, mm-hmm. you know, 50 or so vegetables that I planted. That could be a problem. Yeah. I mean, so the good news is, is that I, ha- I will have what I need. It will just be less luxurious. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I won't get my calories and my nutritional needs. It's just that I will be eating a pretty monotonous diet for the next six weeks probably. Now. Here's the thing, you know, I guess what you could say what I'm doing to to pull through that is flipping the perspective. I quickly became excited and actually sort of no longer think of it as a failure and here's the reason why. I yearn for simplicity. I so respect cultures that really subsist off of a small variety of different foods where you basically eat the same thing day after day after ye- day for years and years and years. And, you know, that's something that I would love to attain. So this is going to force me to immerse in that for the next two months uh, or so. I've got a lot of cassava or yuca planted, and there's a lot of wild yam plus fish and then greens. And so that's going to be mostly my diet for the next six weeks, two mm-hmm. months, something like that. Could you go work on a farm in exchange for food? Would that count? I would have to go there, plant it, and be there every day to raise it, and then I could eat it. Ah, got it. You know, I have to truly grow it to to be able to eat it. 
there's an ethic involved here because I just tossed you a way out, but you've got your game in play and you, it sounds to me like you're sticking to it. I think there's almost no chance. Well, I was imagining if someone said, I'll give you a million dollars, I'll not me a million dollars. I'll donate a million dollars to a charity of your choice. If you'll eat this bar of chocolate or whatever right now, I'd be like, Oh sure. I give up, you know, no problem. Right. But, but barring any crazy thing like that, I, I really don't see, uh, I, I I definitely think that the year is going to – I think I'm going to do it. Well, I know you're going to do it. All right. I know I'm going to do it too. Yeah. I, you know, it's clear from – I mean, if this was like right out of the shoot, this was the first thing you were doing, you know, it, it may be a thing that you might do. But given your history, you're going to get this done. Yeah, it's just a long time. You know, a year of discipline – most of my projects are usually a month to like a couple of months, but a year of discipline and resisting the temptations is a long one. Yeah, no kidding. So what do you consider your biggest success? Huh, let's see. You know, I would say my biggest success is remaining who I am. You know, one of my goals in life is to be truthful, to be humble, honest with myself, honest with others, transparent. And so I would say my biggest success is just the, the work that I've done on myself to be the human that I want to be and, you know, shifting my life to continuing at a time where, you know, I could easily be, you know, making money off things and, you know, I could, I have the ability, I'm in a position where I could do things that, that would go against my ethics and morals. Mm -hmm. And so my biggest success is just remaining true to myself and remaining true to everyone who believes in me. And what drives you? What drives me? A lot of different things drive me. I'm certainly driven by a desire to live a fulfilling life, to live a deeply passionate and purposeful life. I'm definitely not altruistic uh, because altruism is when you give to others and you get nothing in return. But the thing is, the more that I make other people happy, the happier that I am and the more passionate and purposeful that I feel. So there's no question that I gain so much from living this lifestyle. So that's certainly a motivator and drives me. Truth is definitely something that drives me, like always seeking out the truth, not being sold an idea by corporations and you know not believing things that are, you know, false lies that are, you know, put out to us mm -hmm. every single day. That's another thing that motivates me and making sure to not support thing, to support what I love and not support what, what is causing harm to the world definitely drives me every single day to keep going. One of the things that I took on in my life many, many years ago is I don't do against. Mm, yep. I always, I always do for, and it sounds, yeah. it sounds to me like, you may not be calling it that, but you're you're looking for the positive, the happy, the oh my gosh, how could we do this? Yes, I am generally the same as well. I always focus my life around of what I'm for. For example, I'm for local food, so that would be supporting local farms, and that would be my focus rather than marching against Monsanto. I'll go buy from the people who are producing locally organic food. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm the same way. But at the same time, I, I keep a, a healthy level of you know, the against aspect in there because for me, 
those are very real motivators in standing up to corruption. So it's not that I want to ignore the corruption, but I choose outlets that are going for less than the going against. But again, still keeping that healthy balance of, you know, standing up against those things. So how did you discover this about yourself? Was there a religion that you dove into? Was there, you know, was there something you studied earlier in life or is this just coming to you? I would say it's just accumulation of soaking in all the things that, uh, you know, that I really found purposeful, you know, the, the information that was put out there. It's definitely, I did, I haven't had any one thing. I've never practiced a religion. I wouldn't consider myself a spiritual person. So it's definitely never been any like one particular thing. It really is just all the bright lights that have shined throughout the world that have made it to me. And then I've incorporated those bright lights into my life. So it's just the accumulation of many great people and many great organizations out there that I've just absorbed. Wow, beautifully said. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? So my favorite author is Mark Boyle, The Moneyless Man. He lives in Ireland. He lived with completely without money for an entire year and then expanded that into three and a half years. He's written three books. His most recent book, which fewer people have read, is called Drinking Molotov Cocktails with Gandhi, and it's about nonviolence, you know, the reality of the violence that our lives have on the world, whether we realize it or not. And his other book, The Moneyless Manifesto, as well. These books basically just, wow. I mean, some of those things, I can picture the pages uh-huh. that I read, what? four years ago, probably for the Moneyless Moneyless Manifesto. And I can actually picture the page, some of the things that he said that just, he goes to the root and dives into a perspective that most people fear going that far. And he's so eloquent and so well-written. He's able to go there. Now, I'm sure some people think he's totally crazy, but he's able to go there and not seem totally crazy, which he's not. Highly recommend his books. Nice. Thank you. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? You know, I guess my final piece of advice, I know that what I keep seeing is a, just a, a common thing amongst my peers, my friends, people that I meet all across the United States and around the world. There's just this common question of where do I start? So many people have awoken to what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And And so many people want to change their lives. Like it's in the tens of millions of people, I'm sure, in the United States alone that have woken up over the last five or so years to the problems and just, you know, are rethinking life. Now, what I see the big difference is that most people who awake, they have that problem of, well, now what do I do? How do I act upon this? And so, my recommendation is you have to embrace where you are. You can, you are you, you can only be you. You are in the time that you're in. It's the only time that you can be in at the moment. And you're in the place that you are. So embrace who you are, where you are and the time you're in and then start there because that's the only place that you can start and start with something, anything, because action creates empowerment. 
So maybe it's you want to grow food, so have one tomato plant. Maybe you know you want to create less trash, so switch to a reusable shopping bag and reusable water bottle rather than disposable ones. Maybe you know just getting out and doing one night a week of volunteering in your community to help people in your area. So get out there and do one thing, make one positive change. And then once you've made that change, use that momentum to make another one. And then when you've done that, make another one and keep building on that momentum to make positive changes. And as you do that, that's when you start to create that foundation that becomes your, the life that you want to live that allows you to be easier to continue making more and more positive changes because you are empowered. So that's my recommendation. That's my tip of my piece of advice is start with one thing, no matter how simple to get the ball rolling and then keep the ball rolling. There is so much wisdom in that. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. And thank you for joining us on the show today. It's been uh, quite the conversation. I always, I enjoy it very much. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? And I caught a couple more questions for you too, but how can our listeners get a hold of you? Uh, my website's just my name, robgreenfield.org. And then I use Facebook and Instagram primarily, but also YouTube and Twitter. And if you just type my name in, you'll find me. But my, my handle is at Rob J. Greenfield on Instagram and Twitter. And just type in Rob Greenfield into YouTube or Facebook and you'll find me. Perfect. So what is your timeline for this project? For food freedom? Yes. So my timeline for food freedom is that I start on November 11th and will go through November 11th of 2019. And can we check in with you in a couple of months to see how it's going? I would love to have you back and have you share some of your, you know, some of your successes and maybe some failures and, you know, see how it's going. I would love to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. I would. I'm 100% in. Perfect. Well, thank you once again for joining us on the show. Uh, this has been a delightful conversation. You're welcome, Greg, and it's been delightful for me as well. So you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash food freedom. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule, and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed 
or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.